You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Billions of dollars are spent on dieting in this country alone. How do you know what to recommend to your patients? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Howard Eisenson, the Program Director of the Duke Diet and Fitness Center. Also with us is Dr. Martin Binks, the Director of Behavioral Health and Research Director at the Duke Diet and Fitness Center. This is kind of a thorny issue. There's so much out there that our patients read and hear about and see on TV. It's difficult to know what to say to people when, when they're telling us that they're involved in all these things. I'm curious as to, as to your thoughts on that. A wonderful source of information for clinicians who are trying to help their patients is the Obesity Society, formerly the North American Association for the Study of Obesity. A group of weight loss professionals and organizations got together to create what's called the Practical Guide. And this is a publication designed to provide both clinicians and consumers with some basic guidelines to help them differentiate what is or isn't a reputable approach. Things like, do they have some scientific basis? Do they prescribe to fundamentals that are common to the American Heart Association and other types of approaches, the balanced nutrition approaches and so forth, physical activity. It's a, it's a really helpful resource for people to understand what some of the hallmarks of a good program are. How do you access that? Naso.org, N-A-A-S-O dot O-R-G. N-A-A-S-O dot org. Okay, thanks. Now, here are some diets that my patients are on, and I'm curious just to hear your thoughts about things I should be thinking about when I hear that patients are on these various things. Of course, I have to start off with Atkins, which has been around forever, and um, it seems like people still try. Well, you know, a few years ago, we thought that that had to be a bad idea. Most of us did. A diet like that has got to make your cholesterol go through the roof and increase your risk of heart disease and so forth, and we've been humbled as the science around this has emerged, some of it contributed to by our colleagues here at Duke. And we realize now that when people are losing weight, when people who need to lose weight are losing weight, they can, in fact, improve their lipid parameters on a diet that's relatively high in fat and protein and relatively lower in, in carbohydrate. So that's, that's good to realize. By the same token, we're not ready to say, well, gee, this is the superior dietary plan. That hasn't been proved either. There have been some impressive short-term weight losses on low-carb regimens, but relatively little longer-term data that shows that these are effective. So again, I don't think there's a simple diet formula answer to this, but if someone showed a great deal of interest in trying an Atkins plan or a South Beach plan or some other reduced-carb plan, I would not dismiss it out of hand today. Yeah, and certainly that's been my experience, that patients often go at it with great enthusiasm and do lose weight, but it's certainly not a lifestyle change, and they come off of it because it gets boring, and then they're back where they started from. Now, how about the zone? The zone, I think, is a balanced approach, perhaps a reasonable approach. I don't have any problem with their dietary plan, but I, I get the impression that it's a little bit more rigid, it's a little bit more prescriptive and we would choose to be with people. So the fundamental concepts are reasonable, but it's um, just more difficult to adhere with over the long run? There's no magic formula, and I think that continued emphasis needs to be on portion sizes, on planning, on high-risk eating, this kind of thing. And some of the other plans don't, I think, discuss that enough, discuss the importance of exercise and the importance of behavioral skills to maintain healthy habits. So as you've discussed before, nutrition and, and what goes in is only a third of, of the issue that we also have to think about exercise or fitness as well as behavioral strategies. 
Now, what I typically do is send my patients to Weight Watchers. Uh, what do you think of that? Weight Watchers is one that we will recommend to our patients who follow up uh, following the Diet and Fitness Center as a, a good source of support. We we do caution them that there it's not a professionally run program. These are, are lay people running the program, and but they've adopted so many of the fundamental principles that were have been researched by the academic medical community, both in the behavioral realm and in the nutrition and fitness realms, that it is a very reasonable approach. And it's so accessible at a reasonable cost to so many people that it's it's one that I put high on the list of recommendations. Now, the one that seems to be getting a bunch of media attention these days is one that I've never heard of before um, called Volumetrics. Are you familiar with that one? Very much. Dr. Rolls has been a standard in the obesity community for, for many years. And the Volumetrics approach has been around for a number of years. She's also a friend that I've known over my training periods and so forth, a colleague. I think that, you know, so many of the programs, including our own, have benefited so much from her work on helping people feel satisfied on fewer calories. So you don't have to starve to lose weight. You can actually experience fairly comfortable weight loss by attending to calorie density of foods and filling yourself up on fewer calories. It's a very solid approach, and I'm I'm happy to see that it's recently risen to a popularity level. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today are Drs. Howard Eisenson and Martin Binks from the Duke Diet and Fitness Center. We are discussing some of the popular weight loss programs that are available. So with Volumetrics, the key is just filling up with non-high-calorie foods? Is that is that the gist of it? Well, it's attending to the, the relative caloric density of a variety of foods. Some foods do tend to take up more room in your stomach for fewer calories, and there's, a, there's basically a hierarchy of these. And it's not that you're going to live on broccoli and, and carrots in, entirely, but incorporating that along with some of the other foods in a balanced way and, and attending to the fact that some foods will make you feel more satisfied is, is very important, and it's an important part of the Diet and Fitness Center's program. Mm. So essentially eating something like carrot sticks ultimately is more satisfying than, say, a Krispy Kreme donut? There's two different uses of that word there, I think. The Filling versus satisfying. I think that there's always that that middle ground where you have to have the gustatory pleasures and the fact that sometimes people do like treats. Just don't disregard the ones that fill you up as well. Now, how about uh, Oprah's favorite these days called the Best Life Diet? I'm not as familiar with it. I am aware that it does follow a fairly balanced approach, but I'm not very familiar with it. And then, of course, there was a whole series. I haven't heard as much about these lately, but the ones that I call the European diets, uh, the French women don't get fat and the Mediterranean diet, all of that. What do you, what do you think of those? There may be some good information there. There's, there's a lot of good information out, and I I wouldn't be dismissive of good faith efforts. If a book doesn't promise the world, doesn't promise a simple solution to reveal a special secret and sell diet supplements to promote that idea, then it might it might be worth a look. Well, it's always curious to me when I travel in Europe that they really do seem thinner over there. That When I come back to the United States, I'm just overwhelmed with how obese we are as a country. I was just in Europe myself, and I, I had the same observation. I was struck that, you know, if you want to go out and grab a, a quick lunch in, uh, in Italy, for instance, there's shops on uh, so many street corners where you can buy a nice, freshly prepared sandwich. But the sandwich... Sandwiches have a modest amount of filler, modest amount of meat or cheese or both, 
They don't offer them in excessively supersized versions. They're not generally offering them along with a side of, of fries. And it seems typical for people on the run to buy a modest-sized sandwich and a bottle of water, and off they go. Whereas here, we're always looking for more for our money. And, of course, the fact is that uh, walking is so much a part of getting around in Europe. People don't uh, are not nearly as car-dependent as we seem to be. Now, how about switching gears here a bit? What about the role of bariatric surgery? It's fair to consider bariatric surgery or obesity surgery an intervention of last resort. For people who have tried less invasive means to lose weight and, and not had medically significant results, but it's a good intervention of last resort for the right patient, probably safer than many of our patients and perhaps many doctors realize, and more effective as well. So I think people owe it to themselves to learn the facts about obesity surgery and, and to explore that as an option if, they, if they're obese with medical complications and nothing else is working for them. Is there anything new on the horizon um, other than your book, The Duke Diet, either medical treatment with medicines or surgery or, or anything to, to help people that face this problem? There's so much research going on now, so that there's lots of things that are new as far as what's new and promising to arrive on the scene soon. I really don't know about that, but I think that one, it's, it's not very sexy or flashy, but I think that one thing that deserves more attention is the notion of treating this as the chronic disease that it is and adding more modalities for a longer period of time and being willing to reinforce them. If I may, I, I sometimes use with my patients an analogy from cancer medicine. And if somebody presented to me with a cancer I would say to them, well, we can't often cure this, but we can very often provide you with a meaningful remission, and then we'll monitor you. And if you start to, to relapse, we can augment the therapy, repeat the therapy, and extend the remission or get you another remission. And there are some similarities between that and the treatment of obesity. I was saddened to see that uh, Romanabon wasn't approved by the FDA this go-round. That seemed like that, that offered a completely different way to treat obesity. Any thoughts on that? It's unfortunate that it didn't pass the FDA's muster because I think it would have been nice to have a novel therapy with some moderately uh, promising results, truly. But on the other hand, I think it's important that we give careful attention to safety. And as I understand it, there were some real concerns about adverse mental health effects that need to be better understood. Well, thank you so much, Drs. Eisenson and Binks. We have been discussing the pros and cons of popular dieting strategies. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.